0: to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, what a what a privilege it is to be able to come here today, Lord. You are great. You are awesome. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather for your word that we have opened up on our laps today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that you have already begun to prepare our hearts to hear and to receive what it is that you have in your word for us today, Lord. Let it sink in. Lord, I pray that we would ponder it uh, in our hearts um, as we leave here today as well. And Lord, that we might be changed uh, just even in a little bit today as we go. We thank you. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 7. <laughs> Actually, you know, as we've been going through, we've been learning a lot about what Jesus has been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, about prayer, about fasting, <laughs> um, and uh, we're going to talk about the, the final concepts that he's going to talk about. I, last week, we spent some time talking about worry and worrying whether God would provide the things that he says he will provide. You know, it goes through kind of a lengthy passage to let you know that he knows everything that you need and will provide, remember it says, each and every part of what you need, and I'm sure, and, and it goes on and on, it says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be pulled in two different directions, thinking, well, I, I, I think I trust God, but I, don't, I, but I need this, and I've got to make this happen, and he says, don't be anxious, don't be worried, and I'm sure some of you actually left last week being worried about being worried. <laughs> Sorry. This week, we're in chapter seven, it's the last section of the Sermon on the Mount. He's going he's gonna to wrap it up. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a little while here with Jesus, and uh, I just want to remind you if, you, if you just turn back real quick for a second to chapter 5. <clears throat> and seeing a multitude, verse 1, and seeing the multitude, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And so I, only, I bring this up to you just to remind you of the initial audience that he's speaking to, Not the whole multitude of people that he was just healing, but he said he went away up onto this mountain to see who would come to hear what it is that he had to say, not just to follow him because of what he could do. And it says that his disciples came. Now, sometimes we get confused and think the disciples are only the 12 apostles, but at this point, he hadn't even called all 12 apostles. What he means is these are the people who had decided to follow Jesus leave what they had going on, and follow him for what he had to say to them, and that's who he's speaking to. So it's important as we go through, again, as we continue to go through some of this, to remember that he's not speaking necessarily to a multitude of people, but to a large group of people who have decided to follow him. Now, this starts off, very first verse in chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. This is the favorite Bible verse of people who have never read the Bible. (laughs) Hey man, the Bible says don't judge. (laughs) Ironically, they don't know or keep any other verse in the Bible except for maybe God helps those who help themselves, which incidentally is not in the Bible. The reason people like to quote that verse is because they believe that Jesus is commanding a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or choice. But as a believer, as a follower of Christ, I am called to unconditional love, but not unconditional approval. You understand the difference? In fact, later on in this chapter, Jesus is going to remind us that we need to exercise discernment when it comes to who we have teach us or who we share with. We're going to see that. It's not a, it's not a prohibition on judgment or a, 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 in a, um, a prohibition on exercising discernment, good decision making. What we're going to see is that it comes down to don't have a critical spirit. Well, see, in Psalm one, it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. How do you know not to, to walk in the counsel of the ungodly if you don't look at someone and say, that person's ungodly, I'm not going to sit underneath their counsel. So there is some discernment that must happen. In First Corinthians, Paul would write, don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. This is something that my parents taught me all along. Not in those exact words, but like, well, if you hang out with those friends and they're bad, they're going to influence you towards bad more than you're going to influence them towards good. But you have to exercise some discernment to know, you know what, I'm not going to hang out with those people because their bad company is going to corrupt my good character. It's not a, a prohibition on all judgment. Um, it's much more specific and personal. Do not judge another person as a way of building yourself up. OK, let me explain this. You will not become more righteous by pointing out how much less righteous somebody else is. So, like, well, <coughs> you know. I'm, I'm not as bad, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as they are. But you just hear what you said, I'm bad. That's what you started with. I'm not as bad as they are. Rather than trying to be less sinful, try to make yourself look less sinful by pointing out someone who is more sinful than you. I want to be skinny, so I'm going to hang around with fat guys. That doesn't make me skinny. (laughs) Jesus is later gonna say if you wanna be skinny, stop eating Krispy Kreme donuts. (laughs) That's a paraphrase, but it comes up later. It's addressing don't have a critical spirit when it comes to other people, don't look at someone else and point out their flaws in an attempt to maybe link yourself, look better, or feel better. Look at this, he says, For for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So often our judgment of others is different and more harsh than how we judge ourselves. With others we use a measure of justice. But with ourselves, we use a measure of mercy. (laughs) Now, Some people um, will teach that this verse also means that um, how you judge others, that's how God's going to judge you. I don't personally believe that's the case here. I I I think that I know that his word says that as his child, he has mercy on me in spite of maybe a critical spirit. So what is this? verse talking about who who's judging me I'm judging if I'm judging you who's judging me well you all are judging me back you see it says the way I treat people is the way that I will be treated by people again he's going to come back to this later on but the idea is um, um I, <laughs> lost my place are you known here it is are you known as a man or a woman who is judgmental or are you known as a man or a woman who is merciful? If you're known as someone who is judgmental, then people will look at you and they will be judgmental of you. If you are known as a man or a woman who is merciful, then other people will look at you and have mercy on you. Have you noticed this to be true? Someone's like, well, I'm not judgmental. <laughs> well... Might be. Now, Jesus has kind of a sense of humor. Look at this next. Uh, I think, you know, if, sense, if, if, if all things are from God, then uh, who would have the best sense of humor ever? Obviously Jesus. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say that your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at, look, a plank is in your own eye. Okay, two words I want you to think about. Speck in Greek is splinter, okay? So he's saying, why do you look at your brother and say, oh, you've got a splinter in your eye when you have a a, a log, log, a plank, a two by four, a beam, it says in Greek, (laughs) in your eye, and you're saying, um, oh, let me help you remove the splinter that's in your eye. And I can, all, I just imagine a Three Stooges movie where you're just like, <laughs> like you're swinging around and everybody's ducking. You know what, so maybe you missed this part, okay? The splinter and the log, they're both wood, right? You know what that means? Same sin. The sin I see in your eye in a small degree, I'm likely guilty of in a much larger degree, but I don't see it. Because my vision has been clouded by the log that's in my eye. And I'm saying, you know what? Let me help you. Brother, let me help you get that sin out of your life when I am guilty of it in greater measure and just don't see it. Now, what is, what's more obvious to everybody else? Someone with a splinter or someone with a plank in their eye. See, the thing is, although it may not be obvious to me, it's obvious to everybody around me um, that I've got this plank in my eye. Let, let, maybe you're not a lumber guy <laughs> or gal. Let me, let me put it this way. S- let's pretend that I'm covered with horse manure from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and you have just a, a little smudge on the tip of your nose. And that would be like me coming to you and be like, oh, you, you know, you've got something. L- let me just get that. Now, what are you going to do? You were like, <laughs> you're going to recoil from me because I'm covered with manure, and you've just got a little smudge. Now, here's the other part. I'm covered in it. You've got a little smudge. If I'm coming up to you and saying, let me, let me just get that, how effective am I going to be in your life helping you to remove that? I'm likely going to cover you there and get some on you there, and then pretty soon you're going to be covered with manure. Yet, this is what we do. We recognize so easily our own sin in someone else's life, and then rather address it in our own life, we say, Let me help you with your sin. (laughs) 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 That's how I keep keep thinking (laughs) knocking over people. (laughs) (laughs) Hypocrite, he says. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. It doesn't say don't help your brother, but it says deal with your own sin first and then go and try to help your brother. Man, hypocrite. Now, verse six, do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This, by the way, this is not a limitation on who we are to preach to or share with. We are to share the gospel with everyone. This is about what the hearer hears and then reacts to you understand you preach to everyone then this is saying now based on their reaction to it this is what you do jesus would say when he sent out his disciples go out and if you come to a house and they and they say and you say peace and they return the peace then go in with them in fellowship but if they reject you leave knock the sandals off of your not, <laughs> knock the dust dust from your sandals and leave that place This is about what the hearer hears and reacts. So, so in this verse, who determines if, you know, because it says swine or dog, so I'm just going to use those words. Who, in that case, determines whether someone is a swine or a dog? Is it you who determines that? No. It's actually the person themselves determining that because they're determining what their reaction is to the gospel when you share it with them. But what Jesus says is, when you share the gospel, which he calls a pearl— something that is valuable and precious to you, and I hope that it is, when you share it with someone and they reject it and reject you, he says, walk away. There's a couple of verses here that I want to remind you about. In Proverbs 9, chapter 7, it says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult." This isn't saying correct someone that's wrong. This is saying a mocker, someone who when you share, they make fun of you or the gospel. He says, if you correct them, you're inviting insult. Proverbs 26.4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. This is hard for us, some of us, because there are some of us here that believe that we can argue that person into heaven. I'm going to argue, and if, and if you don't agree with me, if I can't win this argument, I'm going to just going to beat you over the head with my Bible until you're bloody and unconscious and drag you into the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't work. You know, Jesus says, I want you to go out and I want you to share, but if you're preaching to somebody and they don't receive it, don't argue with them. Don't argue a mocker. Don't answer a fool their folly. Now, that doesn't say give up on them completely. Maybe you come back another time. Maybe you're not the one that's going to get them all the way. Maybe what you've just done is what? Plant a seed. Maybe someone else will come along and water that seed, and then the Holy Spirit will have the harvest there. Amen? Do you know why God does that sometimes? Many times, maybe every time? So that we don't walk around going, yeah. Saved like 10 people today. What would you do this week? Because <laughs> look at my board right up here. It talks about how many people I saved last Sunday. That's not us. That's not ours to do. We plant a seed. We water a seed. The, har- the Holy Spirit gets the harvest. Right. All right? In Acts, it says that um, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church. Not Pastor Aaron added to the church those who he saved. I don't save anyone. The Lord saves. I plant seeds. I water seeds that you plant. The Lord has the harvest. The Lord, the, the Holy Spirit is the one who saves. So don't be discouraged if you share with somebody and they're like, you actually believe that's true? Have you ever heard that? You actually believe that the Bible is true? What do you say in that case? You don't. I'm going to Listen, if they're, going to be like, if they're going to look at me with that confounded look like, you believe that's true? I'm just going to say, you don't believe it's true? Just leave it at that and see what happens. How sad. What do you stand on? Oh, that, that's later. That's at the end if we get to it. I don't know. <clears throat> Let's see. Verse 7 Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. This is a verse that I see taken out of this section of scripture, and put on a poster of Jesus at the door like this. Like, like it's a salvation, and this is, this is how you get saved. But this, that's not the context of this passage. Now, you know, how do you get saved? Um, yeah, you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Is that an ask, a seek, and a knock? I suppose you could stretch this verse over that concept. But this verse in this context isn't talking about that. Remember who he's talking about, people who have already decided to follow Jesus, his disciples. So then what are we talking about here? Some people also think that this is, um, if I ask, if I seek, if I knock, if I ask anything of God, then he must give it to me. Must. And they'll even quote a verse that says, well, it says that anything you ask in Jesus' name, he must give you. Do you know what in Jesus' name means? It's not a magic word. It means in accordance with his will or in in line with him. So Jesus may say, the thing that you're asking me for, I know you desperately want that, but I know that that would be bad for you. That Lamborghini is too fast for you, Denise. You might look good behind the wheel, but it will kill you if you get behind it, and so the answer to you is no. Well, I, I, I asked it in Jesus' name. He says, but it's not in accordance with my will. So ask, seek, knock. What is this? Remember the audience, disciples. They've left their old lives behind to follow Jesus. So what are what are they asking, seeking, knocking for? Well, one commentator I like, he wrote it like this way. Ask, as a traveler, ask the way that he is to go. Seek, as for a thing of great value that has to be found. Knock, as one who desires to enter into the house of refuge and comfort. In other words, pray, pray, pray is what he's saying. Never stop ceasing in your prayers. Do you know what this really is saying? Is like there is nothing wrong with asking God, seeking God, or knocking on the door of God for something more than one time because every single one of those words is that what I think it's called a present imperative, meaning keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. What is prayer? Prayer is my list of things that I want God to give me, like my list for Santa. But it's not that only, it's conversation with God. It's praise with God. It's being in right relationship with God. He's going to emphasize that point later on where he says, like, people will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. We did not have a relationship. Pray, pray, pray. So now Jesus is looking out at the crowd and they're all like, looking confused like some of you. So he gives them this earthly example. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to you who to those who ask him <laughs> you who are evil he says evil the word is miserable <laughs> you who are miserable not but it's not an inward like oh i'm i'm miserable because i don't have that lamborghini if i had that i would not be miserable in fact <laughs> In the, in, the, in, um, in the context of what he's saying is, you're a miserable representation of who God is, okay? So it's, a compare, it's like a, a comparison. You may not be a miserable person, but in comparison to how great God is, you are. You get it? So he says, even you who are a miserable representation of God know how to give your children what they need And you understand that, you would do it. How much more will your heavenly Father give things that you need? That goes right back to (laughs) don't be anxious about what you need because your Father in heaven, who is good, knows what you need and will give you each and every part. If you're like, Lord, I need a car to get to work, he might say, okay, okay. I hear that. Not gonna be a Lamborghini. Maybe it will. I don't know. Maybe God gave you a Lamborghini. I don't know. Maybe He did, but it, w- it would have been then within His will. <clears throat> Therefore, whenever you, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Now this is the law and the prophet. Do you know what that's called? Just, just generally the concept is, you know what that's called, that verse? Oh, the golden rule. The royal law also. The golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. <clears throat> if I want to receive compassion, I must be compassionate. If I want to receive mercy, I must be merciful. Good, you're catching on. If I don't want to be judged unfairly, I must not judge unfairly myself. <clears throat> if I don't want anyone to get acu- to accuse me of being distracted by my phone when I don't go as soon as the light turns green, <laughs> then I must not assume that the person in front of me who doesn't go as soon as the light turns green is distracted by their phone. Do treat others as you want to be treated. Do you want to be judged unfairly? Does anybody want to be judged unfairly? Just put up your hand right there. No, none of us do. So why do we judge unfairly? Back to the beginning. Because it makes us feel more righteous if we can judge someone else and say, well, they're they're worse than I am. I'm not good. But they're worse. So ah, it makes me better. No, it doesn't. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay, verse 13. Now, I can't prove this, but I kind of think this is what's going on in this verse from, from 13 on, okay? So Jesus has been talking to his disciples um, his followers, the people that left the multitudes and kind of followed him up the mountain a little bit, and he's been kind of going on and on with some really great stuff. And I think that there are some people who kind of notice and start to kind of go in that direction. So now I think the crowd is growing a little bit because there's a slight different direction that he takes from 13 on. So in 13, he starts now, and, what, and again, I can't prove it, and so you don't have to come to me later and say, well, I disagree with that, and I don't think, that's okay. You don't have to agree. <clears throat> Just listen, at least for the next few minutes. I think that there's a slightly different group of people or that people have been added. He starts to look out and notice that there are now people here that maybe aren't disciples but are listening now. They're noticing that something's being said of interest and they're there because he goes on. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it a couple of things that i want you to notice first off how many ways does <laughs> how many ways are in this passage two okay there are two ways One way that leads to life, one way that goes to life, and one way that goes to destruction. Jesus doesn't say, there are many paths. There are many ways to enter. He says, there are two ways that lead to some eternal destination. One that goes to life, and one that goes to death. That's important. Jesus says that. Now, let's consider the wide gate first. Because the gate is wide, you can go through with all that you have already in your life. You can go through with your lusts. You can go through with your selfish appetites, with your greedy passions, with your immoral relationships, with your destructive habits, with your worry and anxiety. You can fit through it because the gate is wide and Because the way is broad, there will be many who will be going that way too, and you will have a lot of company on that road. In fact, you'll look around and say, look at all these people. How can we all be wrong? And so the deception of the wide gate and the broad way is subtle but powerful. But the gate that leads to life is narrow. The gate that leads to destruction wide, you can go through it with everything you had before. You just walk on through all everything that I've ever had, every misconception, every unbelief, every worry, every immoral act, everything that I think I've got under this huge pack on my back, and I can fit through the wide gate and down the wide, broad way. I don't have to change, and nothing ever has to change. And I have lots of company along the way. <laughs> But the gate that leads to life is narrow. You can't take all your old stuff with you through that gate. You have to take it off and leave it behind. Who you used to be, what you used to believe, it all gets left behind to go through the narrow gate. Now, lest you think you'll end up cold and naked and alone, remember Your Father knows you need all of these things. And Jesus actually says in the Gospel of Luke, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the things of the kingdom. He's like, you're not even twisting his arm or he's not even doing you a favor. It's his good pleasure to give you everything that you need. Leave behind. That, the idea is like you're coming to the Lord and saying, look, everything that I thought was good about me, I've realized I'm a sinner. None of that's good. I need you. You take it all off. Leave it there. And Jesus says, now come to me through the narrow gate. The gate is narrow to remind you that you can't bring all of your old self through, nor do you really want to, although I think sometimes we do want to. Sometimes I think we take it off, and then we're just like, I'm just going to bring this one thing. I'm going to drag this old thing along with me, because I might. Or you look at this old jacket. We've talked about this in the past. This old, nasty, you're like, ah, I'm going to take this thing off. it's gross, and I don't want it. And then you're like... I'm just going to take this. And then later on, you know, you hang it up in your closet and you're looking at it and you're like, I hate that thing. I'm never putting that back on again. But it fits so good sometimes. And you put it on and then you're like, this thing stinks. <laughs> Actually, you know what? How long does it take you to realize that that old jacket stinks and doesn't fit good anymore? Sometimes it it's immediate. You're just like, "Why did I, ugh, Lord forgive me for putting that on?" Other times, maybe you spend a week in that thing, a month, a year. It doesn't actually matter though, because at the end of it, every single time you come to the end of that stinky, gross garment, and you say, "Lord, I want to take this off. Lord, forgive me for putting it on." You know what He says? Okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. Oh man. I'm so thankful for that. I keep putting that stupid jacket on. The Lord forgives me every time I ask Him to forgive me for putting it on. What a gift. That's compassion. That's grace. That's mercy. You're looking at the gate and it's narrow, and you're like, yeah, but don't I need some of my stuff? And Jesus says, Do you believe? Do you believe in me? It's all it takes. And you say, I do believe in you. And he says, come, leave that stuff behind. Come to me. Whew. Man. Mercy. He goes on here and he says, <clears throat> beware of false prophets. Now remember, he's talking to them and he's like, look, there's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. There are going to be people who come to you that convince you that the wide gate is the way to go. They're even going to sound like a preacher. They're going to look like a preacher. They're going to stand in the place of a preacher and they're going to say, You don't need that narrow gate. You can go the wide way, the broad way. It's fine. Look at everybody that's going that way. Come on, let's all go that way on the wide gate. And they're going to be what he calls. This this says false prophets. In Greek, it is false teacher. Pretending to speak the word of the Lord, but in fact, they're preaching for themselves. Their goal is to steal from you. Now, I'm not talking about the obvious shysters that you sometimes see on TV or hear about. They're saying, all I need is a $1,000 dollars and you give me $1,000, and the Lord is going to give you a $10,000 back. Or, just to, or they'll say, God's bank account is getting low. <laughs> the Lord has mismanaged his money. He needs your help. I don't know what's going to happen to the Lord. They're going to put the yellow foreclosure tape across the gates of heaven unless you, and you have the power to save it right now. False. Prophets, false teachers, they want to steal from you. Those are obvious. It's not just stealing your money, though. False teachers, they want to steal your peace. You're not working hard enough, you're not doing enough. You are not a hard worker for the kingdom of heaven. You have peace about your walk, shame on you. They want to steal your joy you know what, you should, you should be a mopey Christian. What, why are you so joyful? You're a sinner. Why are you so joyful? You need to be moping around, walking around, going, man, hallelujah. <laughs> steal your joy. They want to steal your confession. Sin? Please, you don't need to confess to God your sin. That's that fundamental stuff. You're not one of those Bible thump. Look, I like the Bible, but you know what? I like this passage, and we're going to spend 18 weeks on this verse, so I can show you how you can be rich and, and worry-free. Only I think you know you don't have to worry about your sin. Sin. You don't have to confess. They're stealing your confession. What is the remedy for sin, gang? Confession. First John one nine. If you confess your sin to God, He's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. False teachers want to steal your confession. See, they come, it says, in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Sheep's clothing means they look innocent. They look like they might know what they're talking about. They dress in a certain way. They talk in a certain way. They have the right hand movements. I don't know what those are, but... They, they are, look innocent, but they're ravenous wolves. Their intent is to steal. You will know them, recognize them, by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He says, you will know them based on their, the word fruits, it means um, um, deeds or actions. You will know them by their actions. Look beyond the pulpit in their life. So remember, this is not a prohibition when he says in verse one, don't judge. We have to exercise discernment and look into the life of someone who's telling you something and say, you know what, is this for real? Or are they just standing up there waving their arms about? Verse 17, even so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot... Bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Um, the The word "cannot" is means it means like um, is not able to do it. There, a, a bad tree is not able to produce good fruit, and a a good tree is not able to produce bad. It's not a result of what we do. Our fruit is not a result of what we do. It is a result of who we are do you understand the difference every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire therefore by the fruits by their fruits you will know them now 21 he says not everyone who says to me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of the fo- but he who does the will of my father. He says, look, not everyone that um, says that they're a Christian is actually a Christian. Does that surprise any of you? That some people will say, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Somehow it's like, look, I'm not Jewish or Muslim, so I must be Christian. That doesn't mean that. There are people, and, and, you know, have you ever been to, like, a big crusade, a Billy Graham or or a Greg Laurie crusade? And, you know, they'll preach a message, and it's very emotional, and people, he will say, and I want you, if you want to receive the Lord today, and I don't have anything against this, I like these crusades. Let me just state that. But they'll say, if you wanna come down and you wanna make a confession, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on right down right now. And many people do, and many people do get saved in that moment. And other people just make a verbal confession. Yes, I did, but there's no change that happens in their heart. Their confession was just an expression there was no change in their hearts. And he says there are going to be people who will say, who say uh, Lord, Lord. They make a verbal confession, but there's no change in their hearts. And he's saying you'll know that because there's no, look at their actions and their deeds. There's no fruit in their life. There was no change in their heart. Jeez, maybe that's somebody here. Like maybe, maybe you went down as a result of some emotional response to a message. You don't really Know what it is that you did or didn't do. He's going to say right here, I want a relationship with you. Yeah, you know what? A, a, an outward verbal confession, that's great, but I want a relationship with you. And look at this in verse 22. Many will say to me in that day. That's so important. I've missed that so many times. What, you know what he's saying? Many will say to me in that day. Do you know what Jesus is saying to that crowd and to us, actually? That day, he says, I am the judge. Jesus says, I will be the judge in that day. Um, If he was just a man, that could not be so. That is a place where Jesus says, I'm God. Because in that day, I'm the one who will judge. Super important, just a handful of words, but it's easy to miss. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus will say, I never knew you. The word know there is I know you because we had a personal experience. That's a gnosko is a very important word. It's not just I know you, like I know of you or I heard of you. It means that we've had a personal experience, a relationship. That's why I know you. And Jesus will say, Some people will make a confession of faith and say, Yep, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. But they don't know the Lord, and he does not know them. There's no relationship there. I never knew you. Depart from me in that day. Those are not the words you want to hear in that day. There is no recourse in that day. That is the day, the last day, that he either says, welcome in, or he says, I don't know who you are. We never met. If, if, if you don't know that, you know him. If you don't know that he knows you today, you need to do that today. You need to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I believe that you died for me for my sins. Come into my heart, Lord. I want a relationship with you so that on that day, I will not hear, I don't know who you are. Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. He's using a very practical example that they would understand that if they built their house on a solid foundation that was trustworthy, even when a storm came, it would not be Washed away. You know, um, Hurricane Ian. Who anybody remember that storm that came through? And so um, there was a road, Gordon Drive, down like right off the water. Right, those big houses. Um, they weren't all built as good as others, and I noticed. And I have a friend who lives down there, and his house took a huge surge of water, but it didn't get destroyed completely because it had these huge cement pillars going into the ground, holding up the entire house. But there were other houses on either side of them that have to be torn down because their foundation was sand. Can you imagine? building a $50 million house on a foundation of sand. And we think that's ridiculous. But if you're not putting your trust in Christ, that's exactly what you've done. You've built your house on sand. And it doesn't say if a storm comes. It says when a storm comes. When the storm comes, when the rains come down and the floods come up the house that is built on a solid foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ will stand. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And look at this. It didn't just tip over it was great, was, and great was its fall. Fall right there means ruin. Great was its ruin. You are perfectly within your rights to say, I just don't believe all this Jesus stuff. I'm gonna put all of my faith in the works of my own hands. I'm gonna build a solid house right here on this spot. But if it's not on Jesus Doesn't matter how strong you build it, it's still on a foundation of sand that when a storm comes, it's going to fall and the fall will be great. The ruin will be great. Jesus says, you're a fool if you do that. You all have... We've all had to make that choice. We say, well, you know what, I-, I thought I knew what I was doing, I thought I had my life all under control, but then it was pointed out to me that I don't, and I don't want to be a fool, and I don't want to face Jesus in that day and have him say, I don't even know who you are. And so at some point in your life, at some point in my life, I said, Jesus, I, I surrendered to you. I believe that you died for me. Thank you. Thank you. And now I am building my life, although maybe it's more humble than it was. Maybe my house isn't as big as it was. But it's solidly based on the foundation. You know why my house isn't as big as it was? Because the Bible says, don't store up all of your stuff here. Where rust can eat it away and moth break in. But at least I know what, I, what my life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, who will never fail, no matter what the storm is. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter how stable you think your life is right now, the storms will come, the rains will come, the winds will blow, and your fall will be, your ruin will be great. Maybe you've experienced that already. These are the wonderful thing about Christ is, He says, It is never too late until you take that last breath and leave this planet, you have the chance to say, Lord, take my life. It's yours. I give it to you. Is that, that's mercy. Mercy. Right up until your last... Th- you know what? This really bugs people. This, this right here, this bugs people. That I could, I could live my life like the devil. And then on my last breath pray and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Come and be my savior. Guess what? I go to heaven. I know that bugs people because they're like, what? (laughs) I lived my whole life slaving away for the Lord, having, wearing rags, being mopey and unhappy. Someone stole your joy somewhere along the way. If you don't think that's true, there, Jesus tells a story about it himself, where he, you know, talks about how the guy hired laborers at the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, and the end of the day, and they all got paid the same. The people at the beginning of the day were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We should get more. <laughs> and, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It, it, it's the same promise to everyone in terms of eternity, no matter where you accept. But that's not an encouragement for you to be like, all right, I can just go out and live my life like the devil now and then on my last breath, on my deathbed, I'll accept Jesus, on my deathbed. Well, when is that? Anybody know? You don't know. Could be as you walk out this door. I mean, I hope not. It could be tomorrow. It could be the next day. You don't know when that's coming. It says we're not promised tomorrow. The Lord could come back right now. If, if that had happened, how many of you would go? Think about it. Let's pray right now. Father God, I thank you so much for your word today, uh, for what you're showing us. Lord, forgive us of our critical spirits. Forgive us for being judgmental, Lord, for looking at other people, the speck in their eye, when we have the very same sin in greatest measure in our own life that we are ignoring Lord, help us to treat others the way we want to be treated. It's such a simple concept. Lord, help us to be weary of those who want to steal from us. Our peace, our joy, want to steal from us our confession. Lord, it is our confession of our sin that brings us back into right relationship with you. Heavenly Father, please help us to stay away, to beware of false teachers. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here have already built our life on the foundational rock of Jesus Christ, but if there are some here who haven't, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn their life over to you and be handed the abundant life of Christ. Lord, I pray right now that if there's anyone here, Lord, that they would say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live the life that you're calling me to live. Boldly, Lord, without excuses. Filled with mercy. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, I pray. Lord, because we know that you want relationship with us, that we want relationship with you, so Lord, I pray that if anyone here is sitting here knowing, Lord, as the Holy Spirit presses on them that they have something to confess to you, Lord, I pray that they would take this moment right now, these quiet seconds, and come to you in confession so that they might be cleansed and return to right relationship with you. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are amazing, awesome, creator of the universe, and yet you know my name. Only you, Lord, could do that. Lord, as we go out of this place today, I pray that we would be a light, and influence to the world that's around us, always knowing, Lord, that you are still in control, no matter what we see going on around us, Lord, never, never to despair, always to trust. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us that over and over, Lord. And we love you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.